Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. You can leave a review on Podchaser. Um, you do that, you can leave a review for the show as well as uh, separate episodes, which are appreciated. Um... You can become a Patreon member at patreon.com. You can uh, slash single simulcast. Um, Buymeacoffee.com slash SSCast. Uh, tip me on on uh, good pods. I appreciate everybody who's listening to the show. I, I, I really do. I do. Like, that's it. I think I quit. That's what I want to say. You see, the reason is, is that um, I just don't get it. I don't understand why the authors are so intent on making Breeze's life a living hell. And my wife talked to me about it because I was really like, I, I think I get too engaged in these books. And she was like, well, that's the author's choice. And I'm like, you know what? That's true. That's absolutely right. They made the choice to literally have Mecca walk up to his enemy that's been trying to send hitmen at him for the better part of a book and have him be saved by the woman that he shot in the head because she was having an affair with his brother. They chose, they made that conscious decision to have his life be saved by one of his worst enemies and by somebody who should want vengeance on him more than anything else because he took the love of her life away and he tried to take her out of this world. But they show him grace. Meanwhile, Breeze, for no reason of her own, gets kidnapped, gets sexually assaulted, Hangs herself in the dream that Mia Moore somehow has in the house that is perfectly described. Like in her dream, this house she's never seen is perfectly described and accurate. Hangs herself and dies. Comes back to life because it was all a dream. She used to read Word Up magazine and then gets caught in the worst earthquake in Haitian history gets out of that earthquake after being buried under rubble for two days and having to drink the water 
out of the dirt. I don't think y'all really put enough thought into how fucking gross that has to be. She drinks the water out of the dirt to survive. She's worried that there's going to be animals that are going to smell Matisse's rotting carcass and are going to eat her too. Someone comes and saves her from that. So she goes from being sexually assaulted to being caught in an earthquake that buries her in the rubble and damn near kills her to having to to going with Miss Beth and trusting Miss Beth to be able to help her out. Because why not? She was never taught by her father not to trust people, I guess. I guess. Because she went with Miss Beth because Miss Beth had water. And had a line of people following her. And so, from that, she gets sold into sex slavery. And becomes a heroin junkie. Like, what the fuck are y'all doing with this girl? And I know I'm not supposed to care. Because it's only a book. It's only a book. But, you know what? Honestly, people who don't read books say it's only a book. I'm just saying. People who don't read say it's only a book. That's like people seeing your pain and saying, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't see it. I read these. I'm engaged in this. This is really hitting me in my chest. Which is what they wanted to do, but I want to know why. So now she's a heroin addict and a sex slave for no reason of her own. And Mecca, who has done every evil thing in this world, is still getting grace. And that's why I wanted to just scream. I ain't quitting, though. Fuck them niggas. I ain't going out that easy. Chapter 8. A real live American boy, Ileana. When Zaire stepped off the private plane, the overwhelming heat hit him instantly. His baggy khaki shorts and white button-down linen shirt seemed too heavy for the Mexican heat. He unbuttoned his shirt, revealing the crisp white wife beater underneath. You know, I've always hated that fucking phrase. I've always hated it. I've heard people call it an A-top, which works for me because, honestly, it looks like the letter A. I've heard it called an H-top because, again, the two uh, tops of the tank top can make it look like an H. I've heard it called a tank top just normal, and that works for me, too. What doesn't work for me is the term wife beater. And how it's become so regular and so normalized that they actually put it in here without any thought to it. Like there's no other name for a fucking tank top. It's a wife beater. Revealing the... And 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 yeah, if y'all don't know why it's called a wife beater, it's because it's also stereotyping against the white people who live in the Appalachian Hills of Ohio who were said to... And, uh, you know, the Ozarks and shit who were said to wear those while they got drunk and beat their wives. Big fucking joke. I'm not even mad about the thing about the white people. I'm still mad about the fact that y'all made a joke about domestic violence. Good job, whoever came up with that uh, shirt name. Go fuck yourself twice. His eyes were hidden behind the ohm shades he wore. The hidden airstrip that they used to fly in on was undetected by the Mexican government. 
So Zaire felt secure as he stepped off of the plane. Still, he knew that because his presence in Mexico was complete and undetected, if something were to happen to him, no one would even know where to begin looking. He had wanted to bring Mecca along, because that was the one person he knew wouldn't be afraid to pop off if things got out of hand. But Mecca was a hothead, and could easily blow this deal for them. Because of this, Carter had insisted that Zaire go alone, and even though he went everywhere strapped, he felt it would be of little use in the foreign country. Buenas tardes, senor, the driver greeted as he held open the limousine door. Zaire nodded his head to greet the man, and then stepped inside of the plush vehicle. A full liquor bar was set up for him inside, but he chose not to partake. He was there to handle business only. He could bullshit back home. He attempted to keep his bearings as the limo took him to his destination, but he quickly realized that it was no use. He didn't know where he was being escorted, and the fact that he was not in control pushed him out of his comfort zone. Trust would be his only way of getting through this meeting. He would have to hope that the men he was about to meet with were men of honor. If not, he was about to walk into a situation where he was greatly outnumbered. Zaire watched as the city turned into countryside as they drove along the coastline. An hour later, they pulled up to an estate much grander than anything he had ever seen. The beauty of it was magnificent. He admired the stone exterior. He was brought back to reality, however, when he noticed the armed guards standing post at the gates and aiming their automatic sniper rifles from their high towers. The property was guarded like a fort. Zaire's palms began to sweat as he attempted to keep his composure. He removed his pistol and placed it underneath the seat of the limo. He knew that the 16 bullets from his 9mm would be no match for the artillery that the guards were equipped with. They would fill him with holes before he even let off a shot. So, he was making the first effort to establish a trusting alliance with the Mexicans by going in unarmed. It was his way of showing good faith. The guards peered into the car, and once Zaire's identity was confirmed, he was admitted onto the property. The atmosphere was not what he assumed it would be. There was no bikini-clad women and no sleazy lifestyle taking place. It reminded him of the Diamond Estate. It was a family home, and he relaxed a bit when he stepped out of the car. Welcome to Mexico, Zaire, a man greeted as he emerged from the mansion. You must be Felipe, Zaire responded. I appreciate the invitation. We have a lot to discuss. That we do but my wife has prepared a beautiful lunch for you on the back terrace. Let's eat first. The time for business will come soon, Felipe stated. He led Zaire through the home and out onto the back terrace to face the ocean. Zaire, this is my wife, Maria, and my sister, Ileana, Felipe introduced. Very nice to meet you, Zaire, Maria greeted. A real-life American boy, Ileana stated as she surveyed Zaire her dark, mischievous eyes looking him up and down as she sipped on a cocktail. Her dark hair and striking features immediately stood out to Zaire. He had never seen a woman so beautiful. What What about Breeze, homie? Like, are they even thinking about Breeze anymore? That whole funeral that happened was in... Wasn't that... Nope. It wasn't in her head. It wasn't in her dreams. That whole funeral thing actually happened. So Zaire literally thinks Breeze is dead. Okay, I'll give him that. 
As she stared him down, Zaire knew that there was nothing good about this girl. She was a temptress, and the deep pools that were her eyes were hypnotic. He quickly broke their stare to avoid becoming lost in them. She was the most exotic young woman he had ever seen. She exuded a confidence and sexiness that he had never encountered before. Zaire was no fool, however. He knew that to do business with the Garza family meant that Ileana would be the forbidden fruit. Wars had been sparked over women, and no matter how exotic she appeared, no pussy was that good. He was always about his dollar. Except for, you know, when it was necessary for him to put down everything that he believed in so that he could fall in love with Breeze and put her in a in a position where she would get kidnapped and nothing would happen to him. Sorry. Not wanting to appear too friendly, Zaire nodded his acknowledgments and took a seat. It was customary for a wife to welcome the guests of her husband, and Maria ensured that Zaire was comfortable. The four ate and spoke as if they were old acquaintances, but Zaire was simply being polite and going through the motions. He was itching to get to the money, but knew that he had to build a rapport before Felipe would even bring it up. If I told my wife that it was her job, that it was customary for her to greet my guests and make them comfortable, <laughs> Oh God, that's funny. Although there were only four people at the table, Zaire was well aware that he was being evaluated by many more. After much unwanted banter, Zaire finally spoke up. His patience was running real low. I'm not here on a social call, he thought. If we ain't talking money, then we're wasting time. He leaned into Felipe so the women cannot overhear and said, I'm ready to get down to it. I appreciate your hospitality, but it really isn't necessary. Time is of the essence, you know what I mean? Felipe put his hand on Zaire's shoulder. My man, in such a rush. Sometimes you have to do things slowly in order to do them efficiently, my friend, he replied. He stared tensely at Zaire and then snapped his fingers, making one of the housekeepers rush quickly to his side. See, si, senor, the elderly woman asked. Rosa, please take my friend's glass and get him a fresh drink, Felipe instructed. Zaire never broke Felipe's stare because there was not a man on this earth who could intimidate him. He was fearless as he said, one man against what he was sure was an entire Mexican army lingering in the shadows of the massive estate. It was clear that Felipe held the power, and by making Zaire wait, he was sending a clear message that everyone on the southern side of the border moved at the pace of the guards of family, including Zaire. Ileana watched Zaire's interaction with her brother and secretly admired him. In no form was Zaire bowing to Felipe, and his demeanor intrigued her. She was not used to opposition. No one ever had the balls to hold their ground against the guards of cartel, but it was obvious that the reputation was not impressive to Zaire. The housekeeper came back with a new drink for Zaire, and then turned to Felipe and announced, It has been done, senor. He is not in the database. Felipe's mood immediately changed, and his callous expression transformed into a satisfied smile. I apologize, Zaire. I had to make sure that you are who you say you are. I lifted your prints off your cocktail glass and had one of my men run them through your country's national federal database. 
All federal agents must have their prints taken. A man in my position can never be too cautious, Felipe explained. Not one to appear too impressed, Zaire held his cards, but he was inwardly pleased at how thorough Felipe was. I understand, Zaire replied. Now, if you two will excuse us, Felipe stated as he stood to his feet. I think I've wasted enough of this man's time. Surely lunch with me was not a waste of time, Ileana spoke up, seduction oozing off her words. Zaire smirked and then followed Felipe into the mansion. By the time Zaire departed Mexico, he had secured a new connect in partnership with Felipe. The cartel was back on, and with the pull that the Garza cartel possessed, it was only a matter of time before Carter was free and money flowed again. As Ace stared out the hotel window, he could not believe his life had come to this. Hiding out in northern Pennsylvania with no contact to the outside world was not what he called a life. Hold on one second. Alright, cool. I had to check. In the second book, they said that he was in uh, Wyoming. If they had said that he was actually in Wyoming in this book, I would have been so fucking furious. Like, sincerely. Like, done, done, done furious. I mean, I would have still read it for y'all motherfuckers, but y'all would have been paying me for the shit. Hiding out in northern Pennsylvania with no contact to the outside world was not what he called a life. Foolishly, he had tried to backdoor the cartel and sell bricks of cocaine on the side. He had gotten greedy. Tired of constantly working beneath Carter, he had tried to expand on his own. But there was a reason why Carter kept him in the background of the operation. Ace did not have the makings of a boss, and he proved that when he sold a kilo of coke to an undercover federal agent. The feds could almost smell the fear on Ace, and they took advantage of it from the very beginning. Once Ace revealed his connection to the cartel, he became a pawn in their game to take down Carter, and like a true snitch-ass nigga, Ace obliged to save his own behind. This all feels like The Wire, where, uh, what's that nigga's name with the good hair? Wasn't it Orlando? Well, whoever the manager was of Orlando's, his nickname was Orlando, but his real name was Wendell. Mr. Wendell, yeah. Sorry. That was such a horrible song. Like, he really thought he was being deep in that song. One day I'm going to do a podcast discussing music, and it's going to be an interesting thing. Anyhow, in that show... Orlando was trying to sell bricks on the side when all he had to do was sit back and be the face of Orlando's, which was their hideout spot. But instead, he decided to sell bricks on the side and he got caught and he tried to snitch and then he tried to set them up on a sting with cops and then he got shot. That's what's happening here. The life of a federal witness was not what he anticipated. He was forced to go into hiding until the end of the trial. And the detachment he felt knowing that he had turned on his former best friend ate at him. He was set to testify in court in two weeks. But the closer the date came, the more he wanted to change his story. He knew that things could never go back to the way they used to be. But he had come up from the gutter with Carter. And he knew that if the shoe was on the other foot, Carter would have never betrayed him. Ostracized from everyone he loved and knew, Ace was living a lonely existence. At least in prison, he would still have his family. If he had lived by the code of the street and stayed true to the game, he would have been able to hold his head up high. He was a man, and no one had forced him to play the game the way he had. 
In his heart, he knew that he had no honor and that he was causing the demise of another black man. He wanted to recant the statements he had made to the feds, but he knew it was too late. Even if he took everything back, the hood would know that he had flipped on Carter and they would never forget. The streets had no love for snitches and he was already a marked man. His only option was to testify and then disappear in the witness protection program. It was his only way to start over and begin a new life. When we started in the game, neither of us ever thought it would turn out like this. He thought solemnly as he reminisced over his early days hustling over his early days hustling with young Carter. A knock on the door interrupted his reverie as one of the federal agents entered the room. They were his protection the only barrier between him and the ruthless team of killers that he was sure Carter had ordered to find him. Ace was sure that Mecca was amongst the wolves coming for his head. Ace only hoped that they never found him. This was how he lived the remainder of his days, looking over his shoulder every second of every hour as the paranoia ate away at his existence. Here's your food, the agent stated as he willed in a silver-covered platter. Thanks, Ace stated as he sat down to eat his meal alone. Halfway through his meal, he grasped his throat in horror as he felt his airway become constricted. He attempted to yell out in distress as his eyes widened and he struggled to breathe. He stood frantically, knocking the table on his side as he flailed around the room, gasping for air. Sweat poured from his brows as his insides burned. The federal agents burst into the room to find their key witness on the ground. His bloodshot eyes pled with them to call for help. Call a bus! One of the agents shouted as he bent over to check Ace's pulse. He looked at the food on the floor and concluded, Secure the cooking staff downstairs. It's the food. He's been poisoned. Ace felt himself slipping in and out of consciousness as the agents rushed into action around him. The paramedics finally arrived on the scene and lifted his convulsing body onto a gurney. Please help! Ace managed to squeeze out. We're going to take care of you, sir, the paramedic stated. Try to focus on me. Stay with me. You're going to be okay. Ace focused on the sound of the paramedic's voice as he was loaded into the back of the ambulance. The man's words reassured him, but he knew that this would only be the first attempt of many on his life. The cartel had failed this time. Fortunately for him, the federal agents had gotten him help in just the nick of time. But they would not always be around to protect him. And now that his location was known, Ace was more fearful than ever. The ambulance sped recklessly through traffic as it rushed into the hospital. Ace closed his eyes to conserve his energy. It wasn't until he felt the electric bolts pulsing through his body that he realized something was wrong. Ah! He yelled as the paramedic shocked him. The voltage was up so high that the hair on his bare chest smoked. Fuck is going on? Before he realized what was happening, he watched the Mexican man place the gun in the center of his forehead. He didn't recognize the men, and the look of confusion was apparent on his face. The ambulance stopped moving, and the back door was snatched open. He looked up and into the face of the devil, Mecca Diamond. Next to him stood a stoic Zaire. Also on the wire, just so you know. Because they alluded to it in the last chapter. Also on the wire, there was a um, segment where a uh, 
federal agent was working both sides, telling a drug consortium where people were coming to get them from so then they could hide out. And I think that's what happened here, too. Felipe's soldiers removed their paramedic disguises and hopped out as Mecca and Zaire climbed in. Ace attempted to sit up, but was laid back down with the butt of Zaire's gun as it cracked the bridge of his nose. Zai, man, come on. We're family. I swear I won't say shit, fam. You don't have to do this, Ace begged as he reached out his hand towards Zaire. Mecca scoffed in disgust. So, pussy-ass nigga, where the fuck Carter get this motherfucker from? He asked as he aimed his three fifty seven and blew a hole through Ace's pleading hand. Ah, fuck! Ace yelled in excruciating pain as blood spewed from his wound. He held his injured hand. Ace knew that there would be no reasoning with Mecca, so he hoped that Zaire would show him sympathy. Zaire, we came in this together. And you going out alone, my nigga, Zaire stated coldly. His loyalty was to Carter. Any love that he had for Ace dissipated when Ace turned snitch. Zaire figured that if Ace was willing to turn Carter in, it was only a matter of time before his own name turned up on a federal affidavit. Tired of the Remember the Times love song that Ace was singing, Mecca emptied his clip into Ace, silencing him forever. Zaire then walked around to the driver's seat and put the vehicle in drive. He and Mecca stood as they watched the ambulance roll through the highway rails and plunge down into the mountain valleys below. They turned around and shook hands with Felipe's men. Their connection with the guards of cartel was already proven to be valuable. It was Felipe who had located Ace, and because of him, at that very moment, the federal judge presiding over Carter's case was being paid off handsomely. Without Ace, the Fed's case would be too weak to convict, and when Carter's lawyer requested a dismissal, the judge would oblige. Chapter 9 Yeah, I know you're a diamond, Mecca. Me and everyone else in Miami knows. Lena Making the trip to Mexico the second time was bittersweet for Zaire. He was eager to begin their business relationship with the guards of cartel but he was upset by the fact that he missed Carter's last day in trial. He would soon have his freedom, and Zaire wanted to be there to congratulate him when he walked out of the prison walls. He knew that his task in Mexico was more important, however. There shouldn't have been a comma there, but there was. So that's why I paused. Carter had groomed him well, and he knew that above all else, the money was always first priority. They could celebrate later. Today, Zaire had three tons of cocaine to pick up. Nobody dealt in quantities that large, and with that much access to the product, it was only a matter of time before they were the largest drug cartel in the nation. Miami was only the beginning. I thought that they were getting heroin. I thought they were heroin dealers. Like, why are they worried about coke? I guess they'll be worried about everything, but if... You have weak heroin in jail, which is what he was talking about, and that was all good, but it wouldn't work out on the streets. I doubt the heroin addicts are going to say, you know what I'll take instead? I'm going to take that cocaine. You know, you know, my usual preference is heroin, but in a pinch. When Zaire pulled up to the guards of the state this time, there was no hesitation. He had already established a level of trust with Felipe 
and was granted access with ease. He was greeted by Felipe, who stood waiting with open arms. Zaire, my friend, Felipe said as the two men embraced briefly. I have something to show you. Okay, so I'm going to stop right here. I am certain that somewhere in this book, uh, Ileana is going to fuck everything up for the entire cartel because she and, uh, well, Zaire is going to fuck everything up because he's not going to be able to resist Ileana. Zaire followed Felipe around to the back of the estate until they came upon two Mack trucks. Felipe pulled up the back of one of the semi-trucks and his eyes widened as he took in the beautiful sight before him. Rows and rows of neatly packed kilos. There were so many bricks that they gave off a sparkle. Zaire had never seen so much work in his life and the sight made his hands itch because he knew that soon a lot of money was going to flow. There are three tons between the two trucks. I have the entire first shift of Border Patrol on payroll. You and your people will be able to drive straight through without being stopped, Felipe stated. Zaire quickly added the total worth of the cocaine in his head. Three tons equal 3,000 bricks. They would easily go for 25 a pop. And even after splitting the take with Felipe, the cartel stood to profit almost $40 million. It was a big payday for everyone, and as long as everything went flawlessly, there were many more lucrative deals to come in the future. Cat got your tongue, Zaire? Zaire turned around and saw Ileana standing behind him. Her tanned skin glowed flawlessly, and she hid her mysterious eyes behind large Dior sunglasses. Her voluptuous bot yep, it's a wrap. Her voluptuous body was displayed in the designer two-piece bikini and matching cover-up she wore. Every part of her appeared perfect as Zaire took a quick glance, admiring her from top to bottom, taking in everything from her pedicured feet to the seductress red stain on her lips. Ileana, he acknowledged. He kissed her cheek quickly before turning his attention back to the task at hand. I'ma do this real quick because they don't do it, but I'ma do it. So, Felipe, looking great in a brown, tan brown suit that showed off his slim figure, put his arm around Zaire. The gesture was too... What the fuck? Okay, this is really this is really it. Felipe put his arm around Zaire. The gesture was too friendly for Zaire, and he had to bite his tongue quickly so he didn't react. He had never let another man stun him in his life, and although he was young in age, he was wise in years, something that Felipe would learn in time. Is that what putting your arm around somebody that's sunning somebody? Okay. I'm aware of the cartel's recent financial troubles, so I'm willing to extend these kilos on consignment. However, this is too large of an order just for me to entrust into you. I'd like to send one of my people to Miami with you to watch over my investment. I bet you it's Ileana, Felipe stated. That won't be a problem, Zaya replied. We fully understand your position, and Carter extends his assurance that this partnership will be beneficial for all involved. I have to meet this Carter. My brother Garza speaks highly of him. After his legal affairs are handled, I'd like to invite the two of you back down here. No business, just a meeting among men. I have to show the two of you a good time. I'll be sure to extend the invitation, Zaire answered. Who will you be sending to Miami? Ileana, Felipe replied. Zaire stopped walking mid-stride, as if he had hurt Felipe wrong. 
Ileana? She will not get in your way. She'll simply be my eyes and ears. I hope that you'll put her out temporarily, Felipe suggested. Zaire looked back at the seductive Ileana. He knew that her presence would only mean trouble. Of course, he said as he turned back to Felipe. Ileana would be a beautiful distraction, and he would have to stay focused on his hustle to make sure that things remain professional between them. She's going to die. Carter sat reserved behind the defense table, completely confident as he sat poised and attentive. It had not been a good day for the defense. After losing their key witness, they were grasping the straws to keep the case alive. Carter's defense was all over it. Wait, isn't it the prosecuting team that's having a bad day because their witness came up missing? Wouldn't that be the prosecution? Their job's to prosecute, right? Carter's on the defense. Right? Carter's defense was all over it. Beckham was definitely earning his keep as he demolished the federal prosecutor, making Carter look like he was a saint while discrediting the federal agency that had made his arrest. Your Honor, it's clear that without the key witness, the federal prosecutor has no leg to stand on, Beckham stated. No, Your Honor. The only thing that's clear is the obvious witness tampering involved in this case. My witness was murdered in cold blood. The witness was in protective custody and was rushed to the hospital because of food poisoning, Beckham shot back. It's on the official state of Pennsylvania police report that the ambulance transport and the witness lost control and crashed. That is how the witness died. My client, who was hundreds of miles away and locked in a prison cell, couldn't have orchestrated such events. And the bullet holes in his body were just there for decoration? The DA shouted sarcastically. Your Honor, you cannot let this man, this gangster, make a mockery of the law. The prosecutor stood to argue more, but was interrupted by the impatient banging of the judge's gavel. Does the state have any other evidence to present besides the witness? The judge asked. No, Your Honor, but... I move for immediate dismissal of the case. Beckham was a shark. He didn't even give his adversary a chance to finish his sentence. All the while, Carter sat back unscathed as he watched the amusing charade go down. It didn't matter how much protesting the prosecutor did. He was getting off. The amount of money that the guards of cartel had put up to make it happen ensured it. And as the judge looked his way, they shared a knowing glance. Motion for immediate dismissal granted, the judge announced. The courtroom erupted in mayhem as Carter shook his attorney's hand. Before Carter could celebrate too much, the prosecutor stood. Your Honor, the defendant has a new charge pending. He was involved in a prison brawl that resulted in the injury of one of his fellow inmates. We ask that he be held on this new charge that we will be actively pursuing. Carter's eyes burned holes to the white man as the judge approved the request. The government was doing everything in his power to keep him locked up. Before Carter could even express his displeasure, Beckham leaned into his ear. Don't worry about it. That is just the desperate measures of a persistent DA. You just made them look bad. Not many people are able to beat a federal conviction. They're pulling tricks out of their bag to delay your release from prison. I'll make sure that the technicalities are taken care of immediately. You'll be out by this evening, Beckham assured. Ensure that I will, Carter instructed as he allowed the bailiff to escort him away. 
He told himself that it would be the last time he would ever be placed in handcuffs. Prison was not for him. Although he had gained a valuable new connection behind the wall, he had also had a piece of his soul taken from him, and he would die first before he ever allowed anyone to drag him back into hell. Mecca sat patiently on Estes's block as he monitored his home. Since he discovered that Lena was alive, she had been on his mind constantly. He was the last person that she wanted to see, but he only needed a moment of her time. She was the only person who could supply him with answers to the questions he sought. Her fear of him was evident, and it disturbed Mecca that a woman he had once loved was so terrified of him. Nigga, you shot her. You shot her. In the head. You. Although his anger was still fresh, he had convinced himself that enough was enough. Murder was not the way to solve this problem. Mecca was tired of killing. Get the fuck out of my face. He resented his position as a bad seed of his family. Even he had to admit that his aggression and disregard for life had pushed him to the edge. It was one thing to murder because you had to, but Mecca actually enjoyed it. He looked forward to the powerful feeling that taking a life gave him, but it had become a problem when he had begun hurting those he loved. His ruthless nature was once his best quality when he knew how to control it, but he had taken it too far. Now all he was seeking was redemption. He had been stalking Estes' house for hours, patiently waiting for his chance to get Lena alone. Finally she emerged, and Mecca admired her closely as she secured his nephew in the backseat of one of Estes' luxury vehicles. He was curious about her relationship with his grandfather, and as she pulled away from the via, he followed, keeping a comfortable distance so that she wouldn't detect him. He noticed that Essie's had one of his men following Lena as well. It wouldn't be easy for him to get her alone. As she moved in and out of the boutiques on Collins Avenue, Mecca kept a close eye. He was just waiting for the right opportunity to make his move. Essie's men were well trained, and there would be no getting Alina undetected. The only way for Mecca to approach her would be to go through her protection. He watched as Lena stopped at a small eatery. He knew that her brief lunch would buy him some time. He parked a block away and then went to the nearest payphone. He usually hated the police, but today they would aid him in distracting Lena's bodyguard. He placed a 911 call, giving the police a license plate number to the bodyguard's call, and accusing him of harassing shoppers. Knowing that they were in a prestigious part of town, he knew that the cops would respond almost immediately. As soon as he saw the squad car flash its lights on the bodyguard, Mecca slipped into the store. Spotting Lena at a quaint table in the back, Mecca approached her. It was as if her body sensed Mecca's presence. The hairs on the back of her neck stood up and her breath caught in her throat before she even knew he was there. Warning bells went off in her head and when Lena looked up from her menu, she froze like a deer in headlights. Because of Mecca, she was that tuned in with danger. Mecca's presence made her body tense in trepidation. I'm not here to hurt you, Mecca stated peaceful as he stopped where he stood. I just want to talk to you, that's all. Lena looked around for her bodyguard, and when she didn't see him, she immediately began to gather her things. The small caliber handgun she carried in her child's diaper bag gave her a small peace of mind, 
but she knew that her shot could not match Mecca's. If he wanted to kill her, he would. She had seen how he got down with her own eyes. She picked up her son. She knew the Mecca wouldn't pop off on her in the crowded eatery. He didn't like witnesses. As he watched her scramble with her things, his heart broke. At one time, he had really loved her, and he knew that only he was responsible for the fear that she felt towards him. Lena, you have my word, Mecca said sincerely. He peered outside of the cafe window and noticed that the guard was still being harassed by the cop. Can we go somewhere? Lena, at least give me that. Lena wanted to tell him no, but she would only be avoiding the inevitable. Mecca was persistent, and his arrogance didn't allow for people to turn him down. If she told him no today, he would only come back tomorrow and the day after, until eventually she said yes. Lift your shirt, Lena stated, her tone serious. Mecca lifted his shirt discreetly as he stepped close to Lena, so that the other patrons in the bistro couldn't see what was going on. She removed his pistol and pressed it against his back. If they were going to talk, it was going to be on her terms. Walk to the back, she instructed nervously, baby in one hand and gun in the other. Mecca smiled as Lena took him for a walk out of the back entrance. She had most definitely changed for the better. She was a bit wiser, more cautious, and definitely more street savvy than he remembered. Her time around Estes has not gone by in vain. When they were finally out in the alley, Lena asked, What do you want? The gun was still pointed at Mecca's back as he replied, I'm going to turn around now. He chuckled at the irony of the situation and continued, Whatever you do, don't shoot. Lena's hand trembled, yet her eyes were determined and revealed to Mecca that she would protect herself if he gave her a reason to. When he was fully facing her, he said, is this money, son? He already knew the answer to his question, but he needed to hear her confirm it. He could see a sense of pride and also shame wash over her face as she answered, Yes. Mecca smiled at the sight of his nephew. What happened, Lee? He asked, calling her by a nickname that only he used. How did everything get so fucked up? Lena steadied her aim as she answered, I was in love with two brothers. Money and I never meant to hurt you, Mecca. He was my brother. How could you fuck with him, Lena? How could he fuck with you? He knew how I felt about you, Mecca whispered. Lena's eyes widened in disbelief. How you felt about me, Mecca, she shrieked. I didn't even think you were capable of feeling. You wanted money to see a love that didn't exist. You can really stand there and say you didn't love me? Mecca stated angrily. You know I loved you, Mecca, but you are the one who never showed it back. Why would Money or Breeze or anyone else for that matter know that you loved me? I didn't even know. All you did was hold me, Mecca. You fucked around with this bitch and that bitch all the while wanting me to stay faithful to you. Utter confusion spread over her face and she stared at him as if everything was his fault, which it was. Those other bitches didn't mean shit to me, Lena. You knew that. I'm a diamond. You didn't have to do me like that. Fucking around with these girls, but you know I'd be right back. Like, that's what he sounds like right now. He sounds like real bad. 
Lena rolled her eyes at his arrogance and lowered the gun as she dropped it on the ground in disgust, unable to let him finish his sentence. Yeah, I know you're a diamond, Mecca. Me and everyone else in Miami knows. That still doesn't give you the right to behave the way you do. It doesn't make how you used to treat me hurt any less. She shook her head back and forth. You know what? I don't even know why we're doing this, she said as she began to turn away. Mecca grabbed her arm to stop her from leaving. Lena, I didn't always know how to show it, but I did love you. You were the one I broke bread with. You were the only woman I trusted. You knew everything. What I did, where I slept, the combination to the safe. It may have been a fucked up way to love. Shit wasn't sweeter on no lovey-dovey type shit, but it was the only way I knew how to show it, Mecca revealed. I've never been like Monroe. I never asked you to be, Lena stopped him. But when things got really bad, I began to notice how gentle Monroe was, how patient and loyal he was, and I got caught up. I fell for him. I know that it was wrong, and I knew all along that it would hurt you. But as much as you would hurt me, I didn't care. I just wanted to be happy. All the bitches in Miami, and money had to choose mine, Mecca stated callously. Are you not hearing what she's telling you, dude? Like, at all? I think you should know that money loved you. He loved you so much that he was going to cut everything off with me. The night you caught us? Yeah. The night. I'm, I'm sorry. Every time I think about that night, I just get mad all over again. Me. This is me talking, not her, by the way. I don't want you thinking that she's saying she gets furious. I get furious because of that timeline, that fucked up parallel We. We talked about this. The night you caught us, he told me that he could never be with me, Lena admitted. Hearing this caused Mecca's eyes to become misty as he tried to control his emotions. I killed him, Lee, Mecca said aloud for the first time as he broke down. There was no reason to lie to her. She had been there. She was the only person in the world who truly knew every aspect of the truth. He hit the concrete wall with his fists. You did. Lena replied. Although her heart ached for him, she held back. He didn't deserve her sympathy. She couldn't allow Mecca to pull her back into his chaotic world. Her life was centered, healthy, safe, and nothing but danger dwelled around him. I'm sorry, Ma. I'm sorry for everything, he finally said, conceding to the guilt that had been torturing him from the very beginning. He didn't know what the hell was happening to him. But he did know that the lifestyle he led was slowly becoming harder to maintain. Everything had been so much easier when he had his family behind him. When his father, brother, mother, and sister were alive, he had something to go to war over. He had things to kill for. But now that they were all gone, Mecca felt empty. I'm not the person who can forgive you, Mecca. You filled your life with so much bad that you have no room left for the good, Lena whispered. God is the only one who could take the burden away, the guilt. You need to talk to him. Mecca nodded his head and gripped the bridge of his nose as he nodded towards his nephew. Can I hold him? he asked. Reluctantly, Lena handed her son to his uncle. The diamond familiar connection was so strong that the boy immediately took to Mecca. Her eyes filled as she watched her son wrap his arms around Mecca's neck. What's good, little man? Mecca greeted as he hugged Monroe Jr. Everything about the little boy reminded him of his late twin. 
I owe you the world, he said as he kissed a little boy on his forehead and handed him over to Lena. Memories of his childhood years with his brother flooded him. It was as if he was staring directly at the past when he looked at Lena's son. As he began to walk away, one more question nagged at him. He stopped and said, One more thing. How long have you been living with Estes? Since the day that you shot me, she responded. Tension filled the space between them as they both recalled that fateful day. And although Mecca had no right to ask, he had to get one more thing off his chest. Are you fucking him? His tone was not demanding or angry. It was just something that he needed to know. Lena wanted to tell Mecca that it was none of his business, that he was no longer entitled to know who she chose to become intimate with, but she didn't. A part of her, the part that felt guilty for sleeping with Monroe, the part that felt guilty for having his brother's child, the part of her that hated that sad look in Mecca's eyes, this part of her allowed her to answer. No, Mecca, I'm not sleeping with Estes. He says that he loves me, but I don't know if I can give it back, Lena replied. Relief washed over Mecca, and he said, I want to see you again, and I want to get to know Money's son. I know I have no right to ask, but... Essies will kill you, Mecca. He isn't making idle threats. If he even thinks you're around Money's son, Lena objected. Essies was not her only concern, simply the only one that she voiced. I don't care. I have a lot to make up for, Lena. I don't owe Essie shit, but I owe Monroe everything. If you don't want me around, then I'll leave without looking back. But nobody else stopped me from getting to know my brother's son. I'm trying to make things right, he stated sincerely. This is all too much for me right now. I love my son, Mecca, and I'm not going to lie. I don't trust you. Lena opened the back door to the bistro. I'll think about it. Just give me a little more time. 916-633-1537 Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com Ratchet Book Club on Twitter Ratchet Book Club on Facebook uh, Help us buy books at patreon.com slash single simulcast or buymeacoffee.com slash sscast If you're on Good Pods listening to the show you can leave a tip in the tip jar I appreciate it Leave a review on Podchaser Um you can leave a review for the show or the episode that you're listening to, or you can leave a review for both. Uh, you can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. I don't know. I'm not falling back into this. I'm not falling back into the traps. I'm not falling back into anything. And it is just bewildering to me how the women are always able to put things aside. And I guess that's like real life. And that saddens me even more. Anyhow, I'm going to holler at y'all later. Y'all be good. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com 
for more information on how to lease this feed. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know by now that you slipped.